0: Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 117 of 60 Minutes with. I'm Dave, and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one, I've got a returning guest. You may have heard me have a chat with him a long three hour, highly entertaining, funny, informative chat with him back in episode 64 last year. It is, of course, Gary Tunnicliffe, and he's back with me to have a chat all about Hellraiser Judgment, the film that was recently released on DVD and Blu ray, of which he's the writer, director, and actor in it as well we do a deep dive into it we just solely talk about this apart from the end where there's a little bit of music chat where he asks me a question <laughs> hopefully you'll hold on for that as well but this if you want to know anything about Hellraiser judgment you're listening to the right show so without further ado in the words of the auditor himself let's just dive in shall we uh, gary it's can you believe it's been just over a year since you were last on the show how quick has that gone
1: is it only a year? Fantastic. <laughs> no, that's great. Normally I, I talk to people and it's like, uh, hey, Gary. And I'm like, hey, man, it was last year. And they go, no, it was nine years ago, Gary. And I go, what? <laughs> so A year is good.
0: That's not bad um, at all, is it? Yeah. It is. And now, of course, uh, Judgment's out. It's out. People have watched it. People have been giving their opinions on it like they do on the internet. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. How have you found the reaction so far?
1: Um, as I expected, mixed.
0: You know um,
1: um reading reactions is a bit like uh, casino wins you know you tend to uh, you tend to not remember the big wins but you remember all of the small losses yeah <laughs> you know so uh, you know some of the nasty ones really stick with you but i mean i understand it i knew i wasn't going to please everybody and uh, clearly die hellraiser fans have a real problem with it um which i understand uh, it's always funny when people go um you know, this film is nowhere near as good as the first one and the second one, it's like, well, how could it be, you know? It's like, uh, you know, I mean, not only are you up against it trying to to beat a masterpiece, if that's your agenda, which mine wasn't, but I mean, um, you know, with $350,000 in your pocket, it's really, it's really not that easy to do. Uh, and my agenda was always to just make something that was kind of entertaining and uh, had a flavor of uh, the original Hellraiser and offered something new. And I think I did that. I mean, what's been thoroughly enjoyable to see is the reaction where people kind of say you know post reviews or or um blogs where they say you know i was expecting this to be utter bilge and uh, i was kind of quite surprised um and so it, it's i mean the reactions. so the reactions have been everything from worst movie ever made and this person should be slaughtered to um to best sequel since hellraiser since Hellbound, you know, what I mean, which is like, wow, I never anticipated that. I was always trying to make something that would hopefully just eke past revelations in the hell world. And to hear people say, uh, you know, placing it, you know, after Hellraiser three or Hellraiser four or even as high as Hellbound, which I find inconceivable, uh, is, is fantastic. And um, really, what's been nicest, I suppose, is that people have embraced uh, Paul uh, as Pinhead and that people have also enjoyed The Auditor, which has been really nice. Um, and, and really what's been nice is that people have embraced the health stuff, which is really what I wanted to do. You know, I would, I would have happily made a 90 minute version of the, uh, the auditor and the pinhead world, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, studios require a story that kind of ties it all together. And they wanted a, uh, and, and that was where the cop story came in. So, I mean, um, I feel vilified in that uh, people liked the weird stuff that I was facing so much um, opposition against from the studio at the beginning when and not only Dimension but other studios when I pitched originally the kind of reimagining of judgment to people uh, every time I did this Stygian Inquisition thing with the auditor and the assessor and the jury and the uh, the cleaners and all that people would just look at me like I'd gone completely bombing so it's nice that people have reacted to that and been like well this stuff was really good and we should have had more of that and uh, yeah I agree with you absolutely you know and uh uh, it's kind of weird when people say, you know, uh, the reviews are like, oh, you know, this film's terrible. There's nothing original in in it at all. And I'm like, really? You you don't find the audit slightly original? You don't think that's you've seen that before? Uh, so when people say, oh, you know, nothing about this movie was was original, or nothing was surprising, I'm always uh, I made a comment to someone else that, you know, you know, I could just imagine being in someone's house as John Gulliger is vomiting into the funnel, and someone going, ah. Oh, You know what's going to happen now, right? Clearly, they're going to cut to the other side and there's going to be three naked girls with their faces carved (laughs) off and they're going to stick their hands in the vomit and then he's going to be taken to a, you know, a room where he's going to get licked clean by three women, like, I've seen so many times, you know. (laughs) Uh, So that was uh, annoying. And also the people saying it's a rip-off of Seven, which I find really annoying because um, I get that it's easiest to do that and say, oh, it's like Seven, it's a rip-off of Seven. But, I mean, um, if... And I hold my hands up fairly and squarely and, and ask people, honestly, anyone who said it's a ripoff of seven, I, I I look at you in the eyes right now and say, if I was to take out one element from this film, which is the Ten Commandments, as opposed to the seven deadly sins, if I was just to remove that one tiny thing, his modus operandi is using the Ten Commandments, if he was to just have killed people in a random way, then there is no connection to seven at all Mm -hmm. no story points no characters nothing you know seven's a story of two detectives you know a a new rookie detective joining an old timer who's about to retire and they're seeking this killer who's you know preaching and then basically the killer is you know gonna take out one of the detectives and kill him and kill you know kill his wife and it's all part of an elaborate plan to kill his killing his wife to do this weird, you know, kind of, like, legacy of thing. So where does, where is that the same? I mean, you know, if, if, if I'd have had the... Damien's wife was going to be taken by the preceptor and then have her head cut off and put in a box, I'd be like, yeah, it's a rip-off of Seven. <laughs> but apart from one element, which is similar in a, in, a, in a loosely, in a way, you know, like, one's using the Seven Deadly Sins, one's using the Ten Commandments, that's it. Yeah. Killers aren't the same, the characters aren't the same, the, the, the plot isn't the same. Um, so when people go, oh, it's just a, a rip off of Seven. You know, I, I have a problem with that. I'm like, really? It's a rip off of Seven? Like, I mean, I think Fast and Furious is a rip off of Point Break. You know, like to me, that's a rip off. Like, you know, that, you know, in Point Break, it's a cop who goes undercover as a surfer to infiltrate a surfer gang who are doing robberies, and gets, you know, kind of in cahoots with the lead guy, and kind of, you know, they become buddies and save each other and and compromises his job as a cop. I and mean, in Fast and Furious, Paul Walker's character, FBI agent, infiltrates a <laughs> underground driving team, you know, guys who are doing robberies and becomes buddies with the lead driver. That, to me, is a ripoff. Yeah. off so I, I, so I stand fast and say, I don't think it is a rip-off of Seven. I think it's got one element that's the same. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it's hard to read when people slack off the... Uh, the cinematography and the acting but again for every review of somebody saying terrible lighting awful acting you get some you get reviews saying great lighting really atmospheric and uh, you know solid acting so so when people go oh, a bunch of models who look like they did the first week of, of acting school I, I think that's a bit harsh but uh but hey you know what I've read reviews of uh, Thor and marvel movies and uh, and everyone else where armchair critics are uh incredibly uh you know uh, venomous so it's it's all part of the internet i guess it's just hard when you uh you have your parents kind of reading stuff or uh for you know uh many parents because they're new to the internet kind of thing and they're like wow people are really mean aren't they but luckily people have been really nice too um you know and then uh obviously the you know uh, you know the the doug bradley thing you know people just saying i'm not going to watch it because doug bradley and uh, you know, I'm really happy to say that me and Doug have connected uh, you know, since the movie came out and, um, you know, I've agreed to put the past behind us and move forward. And uh, Doug's been very generous, you know, and Doug said kind of like, you know, look, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Sean Connery's not in uh, the Bond films anymore, but they seem to be doing quite well without him. So uh, I think that's really, really, um, really admirable of Doug. And, uh, you know, I apologize to him for stuff that I would said and, and he reciprocated and, uh, you know, we're moving forward. So um, that's good. No, it is. It's a real positive thing because there's a great friendship there and a great legacy of memories. So, uh, you know, it's really nice
0: to be able to move forward with that. Yeah, and I think Paul did a great job as as Pinhead in this. I thought he he was really good. Um, so, you know, totally sold the role to me. You know, because I've you know I've got to admit, with Revelations, wasn't you know it it wasn't Pinhead to me. I thought that Stephen was it Stephen Collins, wasn't it? Was was Stephen Collins? Stephen yeah, Stephen Collins. I mean,
1: I think- I think stephen you know i mean look and i've I've been very verbose about the movie, and uh perhaps I should shut my mouth and give Vincent a break yeah, i've been you know uh, been the director of a brick a break, you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i've been pretty i've been pretty uh pretty venomous with what i've said, and uh, you know it's 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 easy to look at a film in twenty twenty and um and uh, say what you would have done and how you would have done it differently, but you never know how the 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 chips fall i think with Stephen Collins, I think unfortunately. From day one when Mike Regan called me when they did his live cast, you know, they had problems with his physicality, you know, his face just really wasn't uh, lending itself to prosthetics mm-hmm. or to the pinhead prosthetic, mainly, I should say. And, um, and then I think his performance was a little exaggerated, which, uh, you know, uh, if it had been reined in, I don't know how it still would have been. And, you know, and unfortunately, the, the costume was compromised and stuff like that. I mean, you know, with a budget of $7,000, it's very, very hard for a makeup effects team to do anything. So I mean, um, yeah. I mean, again, Stephen Norrington, you know, always used to say to me, "Look, if you can't, if you can't do it right, then you shouldn't do it at all." And maybe uh, he maybe is right. Maybe I should have just turned it down and said, "Look, you know, we can't do the makeup effects, or, or we can't do this, or can't be done in the time." Um, but I've always kind of had a go for it, or felt, you know, like if you're if you're asked to help, then you should help. But um, but I do think compromise. Sometimes, sometimes it compromises you, and especially now in the world where everything is on display and there is a um, a speaker's corner in everybody's on everybody's laptop you know um you know the the views of the public and the views of everybody are, are really really kind of front and center now yeah so it's uh you know if you do anything these days that puts yourself into the uh into the line of fire then you should really you know you have to just kind of realize that uh, you're going to get a lot of slings and arrows and um it's definitely made me think about the future a little bit. That's for sure. Um, you know, because you just get to a point where you think, "God, is it really worth it?" You know, like it's it's such a barrage to take, and uh, it's your it's the people around you who suffer because I'm not saying that they read it and they get affected by it, but when you get affected by it, it affects them. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: And uh, and you know, the easy thing for anyone to say is, "Oh well, don't read it, don't look at it, don't don't buy into it." Um, but you can't. You know, you just it's it's it's. You have an itchy, uh, you know, mouse button finger, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're just kind of curious to see if someone says something. And you can read five really nice reviews. And that last one where someone's just really, really nasty, uh, just kind of, it's it's amazing. It just turns the entire tide. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I say, some people have been amazing and people have reached out to me personally uh, via email and written to me and said some really nice things. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of positive. And, um, and I thank people for that. I really do.
0: This is the thing, though, isn't it? I think, in a way, you're you're sort of on a hide into nothing when you take on, you know, when you're filming another instalment of a franchise, you know, like Hellraiser. And you've got, even before a frame was filmed, you'd got people online going, it's going to be shit, Doug Bradley's not in it, it's going to be shit, Clive Barker isn't doing it. And this is before anything's, been films, no stories yeah. been released. It's you know how how can you win with people like that? You just
1: can't. Can no, you? and that was uh that was part of my defence when when Doug uh, when I spoke with Doug, you know, Doug was kinda like, Why have you why have you come out and said these things? And I said, Doug, you have to understand I you know I received I, re- I received threats of violence. You know, threats of violence. People have said some just atrocious things. I mean, people get really, really, you know, heated up about this stuff and uh, so um things I said, you know, were uh, were an effort to uh to kind of diffuse that. So I mean, yep. Yeah, the, the the um. It's amazing that a a movie franchise can uh, can have the tempers running so hot with people, uh. You know, and the feelings running so hot. Um. But I understand it. You know, people get passionate about this stuff. Um. You know, and no matter what you say, whenever you just go, hey, it's just a movie. Uh. You know, it's weird. I I, I didn't get a chance to see Thor Ragnarok when it came out, and I literally just picked up the DVD and watched it last night, and uh. It's you know my my reaction was wow this is this is just a this is like a sketch comedy version of a marvel movie you know i mean i really enjoyed it but i was shocked how how lighthearted and how comical it was mm-hmm. and uh, and and of course i was kind of curious to see if uh, people had the same reaction and it was it was you know expected i suppose to see that people had venomous reactions to what it's saying this is just too ridiculously comedy you know what i mean and uh how dare they kind of take it in this kind of tangent it makes a mockery of it and i i get it because again it's you're swinging for the fences a little bit you know what i mean and i thought something like the tone of civil war was very dark very very yeah. dark um and but you know thor ragnarok is literally at the other end of the spectrum it's just like i say i mean at times i was just like wow this is this is so comical, it's almost like a Saturday Night Live sketch at times especially when <laughs> Matt Damon was playing Loki at one point, you know, I'm like this is this is mental um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, it's like, like I say, it's um, as soon as you put anything out there, whether it be a uh, you know, a two minute video or a, anything you you know, you're gonna uh, you you have to just be prepared to take the slings and
0: arrows like I say. Mm-hmm. I think what people have got to keep in mind as well is the budget that you had and the time that you had to film it as well? Do you want to speak a little bit about that? You know, because you were, you constrained, you know, with money wise and time wise as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people who uh, who know the film know this, you know, and uh, the people who have been the kind of nicest about it definitely take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, Mr H reviews, um, you know, did a great kind of considerate review, and that's all I ever really ask is that people give it a considerate review. I mean, like I say, you're looking at a movie that had the budget of probably you know, the craft services of uh, an Avengers movie or, uh, you know, a couple of days of insert photography. So, you are compromised and, and every suggestion or every comment, critic that people made about certain elements of the film, I was able to, I was literally like, yeah, and I would have loved to have done that and I agree with you heartily. and, you know, so when people say, oh, you know, there's no cops in the background and there's no forensics, there's like, yeah, well, you know, I would have loved to have all that, you know, I really, really would. But I mean, uh, I couldn't do it. But I watched a, a cop movie the other night, where again it was two cops on the on the case, and you barely saw anybody else. But when they would turn up at scenes, there would be you know twenty cops there and and ambulances. But um, yeah, you, are, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do a union movie, uh, you know, paying rates and SAG rates and stuff like that is incredibly difficult. It doesn't give you a lot of uh, a lot of flesh on the bone. Um, you know, little things like I mean, you know, my original concept of the ending of, of Pinhead being, uh, you know, um, banished would have been like I say, you know, it would have you would have had a much more similar scene to Hellraiser two when Pinhead is created with the pins being torn out and his garb being ripped from him, kind of thing like you know uh, the chamberlain in in, in Skeksis in uh, in Dark Crystal, mm. and then maybe it would have been a nighttime, you know, raining shot cop. You know, drinking a cup of coffee and kind of like you know in his car and he sees something in his headlights and drives down the street and you know and there's a a kind of homeless guy or somebody lying in the gutter and he goes over and rolls him over and he's naked and you know it's it's Paul with a grid carved in his head, bloodied and screaming you know uh, the sweet suffering something like that you know would have been yeah that that would have been the nice. The high budget version. Um, so um, all of it, you know, all of the above, I, I take it all and agree. You know, it's like, yeah, I would love to have done that. I would have loved to have cops there and and some bigger, you know, some bigger sequences. Um, yeah, I would have loved to. But you know, like I say, 15, 15 days and and three hundred fifty thousand dollars doesn't give you a lot a lot a lot of freedom. And uh, and also the comments where people have said, oh. You know, would like to have seen some more character development. Yeah, that was all shot. I filmed longer sequences, but you know, the notes I had from the studio, from the people holding the pink slip were, you know, speed it up, hurry it along, you know, let's uh let's cut the blah blah blah, you know. And um, you know, I fought with that and I disagree with some of it. I really do, you know, it's like I would like to, you know but I was told I was waxing lyrical, you know, and uh Again, I'm not the guy holding the pink slip. I don't do the final cut. So, I mean, uh, they, 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 you know, they have the choices. And um, unfortunately, they're not the ones who, who have to stand in front of the audience and take the knocks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, yeah. yeah, I would love to have uh, had some longer sequences. The beginning with the cops in the car was longer. The sequence when they for the first time was longer. Uh, there was more development. There was a big speech at the end with the preceptor when he explains why he's doing what he's done and, uh, and all that. So, yeah, there was easily a 95-minute a version out there. But, uh, you know, they wanted it zippy, 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 zippy. So, I mean, um, you, like I say, uh, and, and someone could say, oh, well, why don't you argue and fight? You do argue and fight. You argue and fight the first time, and then you argue and fight the second time. And then when you get the feeling that they're going to do it anyway without you, then you have to kind of just acquiesce. So, uh, you know, they will do it without you. They own it. And they've got an editor sitting in a room, and, you, you know, it's like you have to – temper your um you know you're you're a hired gun at that point and if you don't go along i mean you could fight for points and you can be passionate but uh you know you you've only got so much power to a certain point Hmm. so um it's a compromise and uh, like i say unfortunately the the thing about the compromise is you have several cooks in the kitchen but then only one guy with
0: the chef's hat on and he has to go outside and (laughs) take the heat you know and that's the way it is i'm afraid was there was there anything that you filmed that ended up on the cutting room floor that they left out, or is, is, is virtually everything that you filmed is that in the final? Oh no, part? there's
1: several sequences. There's a
0: sequence in the church. There's a sequence. Um, there's several
1: scenes uh, of character development. There's a scene where Edgerton's at home having kind of like a uh, a flashback of things. There's um, a long the sequence with the. Um, Damien and his wife having a big discussion about that why their marriage is collapsing. Uh, the alleyway sequence is much longer and much weirder. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff. Um, not whole, nothing for, kind of like uh, effects-wise, um, but just more dialogue and character sequences, you know, longer
0: longer takes of, uh, of more dialogue and things like that. Yeah. So when was it that you got to, to see the final cut?
1: Oh, God, uh, almost two years ago. two years ago The the film was, once we shot it in February, um, the film was edited. We only had three, and that was another thing. We only had three weeks to edit, um, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we were being told, hurry, 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 get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. Because I figured they were going to release it in the fall of 2016. So they hurried us along, and uh, we were told get it done. And also they didn't want to spend any money. So, you know, another week of editing, another week of, uh, you know, that kind of stuff adds more money. So, um it was completed god probably it must have been uh if we finished in february march april may june it probably finished by june or july of 2016 and put to bed so that's when i'd seen the it's in the final cut and then it just sat around you know it just just waited until they wanted to release it yeah so that's when i saw the final cut and uh you know, my reaction was, uh, you know, I mean, it's weird when you make a film because obviously your eyes get very kind of tired with watching it. You've seen yeah, it a million yeah. times. But I did find that I would go back and watch the beginning and watch the end, you know, and kind of enjoy watching the audit and would enjoy watching the finale with Pinhead. But even I found the police procedural stuff a little boring because the original format of the movie isn't what's on display. When I wrote it, originally it started with the audit uh, when I pitched it. And – um And they were like, no, no, this is too weird to start with. You know, you get into the cop story straight away. So the script was written, you know, that the movie starts with the preceptor killing Crystal Lanning credits. And then we have the cops going to the Crystal Lanning apartment and the dog coming from the girl's stomach. Uh, And then um, Damon's character, Sean Carter, goes home, has a big argument with his wife about her birthday Sits down and has a drink and turns on the TV and we go from the TV screen that he's watching, which is reporting a new preceptor killing into a TV, which has got like a pair of children's shoes on top of it uh, in the squalid apartment of Watkins. And that's when Watkins gets the letter. So the original audit with Watkins took place about 25 minutes in. Yeah. So you would have ramped up from the dog to Watkins audit to um, Carter's audit about 20 minutes after that to the finale. And I felt that would have probably been a, a nice gradual build-up. But then when the studio saw it, they were like, oh, let's get in, you know, they liked the order, and they were like, let's get into that straight away. And it was really weird to me because like I say, originally I pitched it that way. So I had an affinity for that kind of, um, that kind of uh, structure. Yeah. And I thought it was very European and very Asian to just kind of like start off with 12 minutes of weirdness. Um, but I did worry that it would be kind of like a bit of a, a climax, you know, a, a big massive amount of fun stuff. And then there would be a lot of kind of boring police stuff. And I think I, I feel that way now. And I think people who watch the movie feel that way. So I, it would be nice to have seen the original cut play out because it was written that way and it was quite nicely structured that way. And I think there was a nice, a nice build up. It would have gathered momentum, um, but, you know, there was also talk at one point they wanted to cut the audit out. They were like, let's lose all this weird stuff with the, oh the vomit God. and the girls. And I was like, please, please, please. I mean, I was literally on a conference call and I was on my knees. Uh, because, you know, one person in a room tosses an idea like that out. And, and, you know, you only need one person in the room to kind of go, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. How would it be without that? And it's like, you know, before you know it, you're facing a, a tide. So um, luckily they didn't. And Matt Stein, um, sorry, Matt Cigna, was very um, very supportive of me on that, and uh, you know all the guys at dimension were, were very good I mean the weirdest thing was is that I think by the time we'd, we shot the movie and I had one set of executives and by the time the movie came out um, or actually we'd finished the post, half of those executives had left and by the time the film was released, I would say that eighty to ninety percent of those executives <laughs> had left the weinstein company so it's very weird because them you know, I was in situations where uh, new executives were coming on board at one point and they were going, oh, why did you do this? And why did you do that? We hate this. And I go, uh, well, the guy who was in charge before you wanted that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. And I agree with you, but we had to change it because, well, he's not here now. So you need to think about doing this. And it's like, yeah, well, I did that. You know, it's like uh, I understand the new brooms coming in and sweeping clean. But, you know, you do understand that, you know. We, we, you know, this there was a process in place before you got here, and we did do what you're suggesting, and I was told to change it. So I mean, that's the uphill battle, isn't it? You
0: know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, and that's the thing, and that's what I wish a a lot more people had taken to mind, you know, before hitting the keyboards, because they see, you know, they see your name as the writer and director, and you, like you've said, you're you're at the forefront of it. It's you that gets all the shit shovelled onto you, as well as the praise. You know, you've got to take both sides of it, but it's there's all these different layers that you know that frustrate you as you're making the film as well. Yeah. I mean,
1: even people who were, you know, people who went to stop to watch the movie and then went, oh, God, hold on a second. This guy wrote Revelations. Oh, well, this is just going to be dreadful, mm. you know, so it's like, uh, you know. But again, also, while I've been watching these reviews, it's been really weird to see people saying, you know what, I kind of like Revelations, you know, which is really bizarre. <laughs> and they're out there, you know, people are out there. and Or at least seeing that the story had some merit, you know what I mean? And that, uh, you, know, I, you know, I I, would love to have, uh, you know, the one thing that's... Uh, uh, Victor Garcia had that I didn't have was his movie was the, was a you know, when they were making Hellraiser revelations, uh, screen was being made. So all of the focus and attention from all the executives at dimension was on screen and no one gave a shit about Hellraiser. So they could have literally shot a, you know, a circus filled comedy porn movie and no one would <laughs> given a damn. No one was watching. So I and unfortunately, I was not like that. I had the eyes of the world on me because it was the only film that was being made by dimension at the time. So they were very, uh, you know, on top of what I was doing. Uh, so I feel that he had a, an opportunity that I didn't have while he had a little less money. You know, he, had, he ended a couple of hundred thousand dollars in a couple of weeks. He did have the um, the freedom of just kind of being able to let loose. And I, I you, know, uh, you know, as you can see by my imagination in uh, in in judgment, I have some pretty bizarre ideas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You can imagine how it would have been had I been let off the leash.
0: So. <laughs> 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 and your acting, we've got to bring up your acting in it, because, and rightly so, I say, you've, you've had some really good praise for your portrayal of the auditor in this, the, you know, the character. Uh, and I've watched, you know, I've watched the film a few times now, and it's, it's definitely one that warrants repeat viewing. I've, I've got some, something different out of it every time that I've watched it. But I think well, one thanks. of the constant things is is your great performance as the auditor. Um, Everything about—I mean, tell me a bit. How did how did you come on? Let's let's get a bit all acty. How did how did you sort of go into into the code I know you wrote it, obviously, but when you're in front of the camera, there was any sort of process that you did because I love the way that you deliver the lines. You got the movement. You you know you got that you're shuffling feet and all of this. How did you build the character of the auditor as a performance?
1: Um, yeah, and, and I am going to sound very actory when I answer this. I suppose Uh is that honestly, I I truly find that. When I turn him on, when he when he when I when he comes through me, I mean, and it it really does feel like that. Um, I I almost lose uh, sense of who I am. It's really bizarre, mm-hmm. very strange. And I've, I've 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 had that kind of schizo personality for years when I was a singer in a band, and uh, or you know when I do anything performance wise, uh, I tend to I tend to be able to you know I tend to click over into a different mood. Um, so when I was writing, I had a feeling of how we would speak and uh, what it would kind of be like. Um, what was very strange was, you know, designing the character and then months after the film was finished, you know, flicking on the TV and Shindler's List popped up. And then I saw, you know, um, Ben Kingsley as Jack Stern in Schindler's List and going, oh my God, look, look at the similarities, the wardrobe and the glasses and, uh, you know, and that kind of little blue collar kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think there was an inspiration from that character. Um, regarding the, the, the accent, I, I, I wanted him to have a, a slight German tone, and and I really hate when English actors are very this and that is <laughs> a German accent, and it's all like this, and you will go here, and you know, Mister Watkins, you know, it would have been like that, very pointed. And uh, my experience of living in Germany and Austria and uh, and then having German friends is that they tend to have a slightly stilted accent that is just a little different and odd. And it isn't really very different at all. And there are only words that sound different. And that is where the voice of the auditor came from. So, you know, shall we just dive in, Mr. Watkins, um, you know, it's like that. And then I found that even now, just talking on the phone, doing it with you now, my shoulders hunch and uh, I, I, I make myself shorter as the character. I'm not that much smaller than Paul, but uh, in the role, if you look at me, I'm really kind of dwarfed by him. Um, so I definitely think he's, um, he's subservient. But uh, what was the strangest thing was that um, uh, when playing the part and doing sequences, when I put the glasses on and, and start doing the voice and start reciting the lines, I would kind of find myself disappearing into it. But then there would have to be this weird... Out of body experience where we'd finish a scene and then part of my brain would go. the the, the dominant director side would go, uh, "You have to call cut now, mate."
0: <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? <laughs> it's like you know, I'm so I'm the auditor and I'm listening to what I'm saying and I'm thinking as the auditor and I'm kind of being the auditor and you know, you, you know, you you're saying the words fresh for the first time every time, so it's it's you know you you know you can't just run through it like you know, uh, the process you know, so you just kind of. I am him, if you like. Sounds very actory, I know, but it's the truth. Hmm. Uh, and then, like I say, I would find that, you know, then I'd go, and you have to go cut now, dude, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was very weird. i you split your brain into two halves at times. Um, I definitely have much more of an affinity. I mean, I've, I've acted before, and I've always, you know, obviously I've acted before in things, but I've, I've also directed myself as an actor, and uh, I always find it a bit, I'm always a bit self conscious of the whole thing. Like, I'm always worried that the whole crew are going, oh, really look like the director's putting himself in front of the camera now. What a hack. But, um, you know, luckily I've always had crew turn around and go, wow, you, you're pretty fucking good, dude. So, I mean, um, and I'm sure that uh, hopefully they're not doing it just to, you know, blow smoke up my ass. But um, I trusted Damien Carney more than anybody else. Uh, Pepper and uh, Pepper Reed, my script supervisor, and Mike Leahy, the producer, were kind of like, you know, the barometer. But the real person helping me a lot of the time was sh- damien Carney, who played Shaw Carter, because he would—he's a very stoic kind of guy, and uh, he'd just kind of go, "Yeah, that's good," you know, or uh, yeah. And I just—I remember years ago talking to Robert Patrick, you know, Robert who played um Terminator Two, you know, yeah. in term, you know, the amazing actor. But Robert, and uh, when I did a film with Robert called Within the Rock. Um, Robert was a producer on it and uh, there's an actor called Dwayne Whittaker who's in uh, many films but he's in um, pop fiction as well and he said that when him and Dwayne would do scenes they would they would literally try to to beat each other by doing as little as possible in scenes <laughs> you know literally do nothing literally just say the words and just you know not blink not breathe just say the words as flat as possible and he said it was amazing because directors would come on and go, that was amazing. That was incredible. Had so much power what you're doing. And uh, and I learned a lot from that, you know. Like it's true sometimes, especially when you're wearing a makeup because the makeup is saying such a lot for you. Um, and I knew that wearing those big glasses and having those cuts that one little head flick, you know, uh, would give it a very weird kind of look, you know, and kind of like would have this weird insecty kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where some of it came from he's just uh, looking at yourself in the mirror and looking at how your face reacts and uh, and then a stillness i think is, is key i think that's a key to i would say to most acting and uh, you know i'm not I'm trying to be some great olivier kind of like you know guy here but it's amazing sometimes like you know you 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 know, you, you, you often hear the you know you know alas poor yorick i knew him horatio a fellow of infinite jest you know he you know he has bought a thousand times, and it's always a bit kind of like you know it's too much, right? Yeah. And it's amazing if you go the brand away and just do you know, you know, the last point, right? Fellow of infinite jest, I knew him, you <laughs> Or you know, it's it's you know it just ha- it has so much power. People so people suddenly get drawn into it. You know what I mean? They like they suddenly find themselves listening and uh, and and drawn into it. And that's what I like about the auditor is that. um I, I wanted a character that was uh, in a Hellraiser movie that could speak. That was clearly a, a monstrous character, but could speak. And you would be intrigued by him and fascinated yeah. by him, but not repelled. You know, he's not just a guy with a chainsaw or a guy with a machete. That uh, I really wanted to. To come away, people come away from a movie going, oh, I wanted more of that guy. I'd like to have seen more of him or what's his story? Rather than oh you know what they could have cut they could have cut that guy down a bit like blah 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 all the time you know what I mean like and it's been nice that people have actually said that like oh I really like the Auditor. Yeah. like what was his deal what was his story and uh, will there be a sequel will there be a spin off you know like you know, and that's um, uh, again, you know, you know, it would be the, the, the bad thing that would happen now was if the movie was a real success and people were like, Oh my God, the auditor was amazing. And we really loved it. You know, studios reaction would be like, right. auditor movie, you know, with the, you know, <laughs> an hour of auditor and it would be too much. It would be too much. He would lose his, uh, he would lose his interest. You know what I mean? It'd be boring. It's like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Sit typing for an hour. You know? <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, there is stuff and I've got stuff in my head, but I mean, but it's it's Again,
0: it's you know, it's like good in small doses, you know. Yeah, it's good in small doses. Well, I think it's I think it's the first line that the auditor says as well. He says, you know, and it's a callback because there there are little callbacks, to, you know, to fans of, of the franchise, obviously. And it's the auditor that says we have such sites to show you. Mm-hmm. When you were writing it. I mean, you want to do little notes, you know, little nods to the past with the hell reason, you know, like you do for the fans. Here's a little bit for the fan. Here's a line for the fan. Here's a nod. It was the blood, I tell you what, Gary, the bloody address. Because I've, like I said, I've watched it a few times and it was killing me. I knew there was something about the address of yeah. the house. And it, and it was only like, I think it was the third viewing and it clicked what it is. you want, I mean, would you like to tell people about, you know, about that and about any other little nods that you put in to, you know, past... Um, uh, Hellraiser yeah. movies well i mean you know
1: you put those nods in as kind of like a, as respect and a homage as a fan mm. but then you get chastised for them people say oh you know uh, you <laughs> know how dare you <laughs> how dare you use that line it's like well i was trying to i was trying to kind of like you know give a nod and a, you know yeah. homage, you know and, and show respect you know it's like you know and i get kicked in the teeth for it um and the one of the worst was, was someone who said you know i read one of the first reviews and it was like you know and the you know and mr tonic of the heavy-handed uh References to great films like a clockwork orange when you make such a terrible one is ridiculous And I was like clockwork orange. Where do I represent? You know, where do I you know? Where do I do clockwork orange and then I realized that they thought Ludovico was a, uh, you know a reference to the Ludovico technique and it's not right. nice. it's, it's the address of the original cotton house in yeah. uh, in the first Hellraiser so that's where I was doing it from you know, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I you know, it's like uh, I thought it was you know, I mean, uh, the biggest one that was a real problem, I suppose, was the um, Jesus wept line. Um, mm-hmm. But the way – it wasn't originally the original line that she was supposed to say. Um, it was just that we were there and we were shooting it, and it it felt right. The only thing that I wish would have been a bit more like, – would have come out was that the 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 reading of it uh, – and it's a really hard reading to do, and I don't know how you do it, and I've thought about it a lot – Was I really would have liked it to have been more like, she's saying, uh, Jesus wept, I was there, he wept, and I won't, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, like she'd go, you know, he says, you know, you know, are you the way, you know? And she goes, Jesus wept, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, like taking the piss out of him, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not the kind of like uh, brilliant delivery that, um, that Andrew Robinson did in the first hour But, again, for every person that says, wow, I really loved it, great, you know, fantastic callback to the original, you know, 50% of people go, how dare you uh, take the greatest line from a Hellraiser movie and and put it in your shite fest. So, damned if you do, damned if you don't. It was just at the time. After having an angel say it, I thought it had some resonance. Uh, But, uh, you know, you do what you do and you have to stand by it. And uh, I liked it. And when I whispered it to Helena. She loved it as well. And everybody who was on set it was a Hellraiser fan was like, oh yeah, that's so cool. So, um, that seemed like the right thing at the time. But, uh, for those of you who like it, thank you very much. For those of you who don't, sorry. Yeah, I always liked the little nods, you know. She, you know, what else could she say? You know, I mean, I think, I, you know, I, I think she was like, do your worst or, you know, I'm ready or I can't remember what I'd written. You know, it's too long ago now, but there was some line in there. It's like people said about the ending that's very polarizing, you know, to banish Pinhead. And really it came down to, well, what was I going to do? You know, like you're going to, you know, someone's going to close the box or and say go to hell, you know, which we've seen a million times. Yeah, I couldn't tear him apart because we've done it in. I did it in no more Souls, so people would say I was ripping off my own my own little movie. So uh, I just thought, you know, if you're the king and if you're in control and you're the the boss, then the best thing, the worst thing that happened to you is to have all your power taken away. So I went with that, and I thought it was kind of a nice throwback to uh, to Hellbound.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's, and people come in with their own because again, you know what, we're ten films in now, and people go, well, oh, well, it's 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 ignoring the Hellraiser rules, and it's well. That's Hellraiser hasn't got rules. I don't remember as... any rules being. No, I don't. I, I, don't. Know, I mean, I... <laughs> I've only worked on
1: I've only worked on eight of these films, and no one's ever handed me a Hellraiser rulebook. I, I was trying to think what. Okay, so what are the rules there? I couldn't think of any. I mean, you know, it's like somebody said, oh, you know, they solve the puzzle box really quickly again. You know, like you know, it's supposed to be difficult. So it's like really, you want to try and get five minutes of puzzle solving. Uh, you know, through past the studio. Do you not think executives were like, what, "What was with the five minutes of watching a Rubik's cube, Gary?" <laughs> well, it's supposed to be really tricky to open it. Yeah, I know, but who wants to watch that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we get it, but no, cut that. Hmm. You know. So I mean, it's like uh, I mean, I, if I was to uh, pick up on every little critique that people have made, I'd, I'd be it's all you know you know twenty forty five you know it'd be pointless, but I mean but people do go through it and pick out every little floor and say, "Why did you do that and that's stupid, and that breaks the rules you know um and I mean somebody seemed said, said like, "Oh my God, this is no someone someone's critique was oh, it's so disgusting the first twelve minutes like it's really disgusting and it's just horrible and nasty and and yucky and disgusting." And I'm like, uh, it's fucking hell, mate. You, you know what I mean? Like, it is it is hell we're in here. It's not, you know, we're not down at, you know, Aldi. You know, you know, it's it's hell, you know. I mean, it's supposed to be hell. So it's not supposed to be a very jolly place, you know. It's supposed to be pretty nasty. This is where you will be suffering for the rest of eternity. So <clears throat> sorry if it affects your kind senses and that we didn't have potpourri in the rooms and that, you know, it wasn't more nice and... People were coming into mop up, but it was supposed to be hellish, you know. So, what are you expecting when you when you put on a movie called Hell Rising? You know, you're expecting it. to, oh, well, hell was a bit hell was a bit bleak, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's very
0: strange. You it know? is, I mean, yeah, it's weird. I do
1: find myself yelling at the TV screen at three o'clock in the morning. You know, my wife going, well, "What's wrong?" And there's an idiot on here posting a review saying. Why are they doing that? And you're like, really? Okay, like you have a problem with the fact that my Hellraiser moves a bit too hellish? Oh, sorry, okay. There I do like go. the
0: idea of Hellraiser Aldi, though. That would be pretty good.
1: Yeah, Hellraiser Little. There you go. <laughs> you know. Whichever one wants to sponsor it, will do it. Your <laughs> I mean, your suffering will legendary on IL five.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> i like the title sequence as well um did, did you have any input into that i take it you don't or you could surprise me and say yes you do because it's a, for sequence. me for me the, the title sequence at the beginning because for me the title sequences and music you mean that, the title sequence no so you, you mean the title sequence 12 minutes in yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: oh no oh no absolutely i mean i can tell you a couple of things about that oh I'd so love to, first, yeah
0: i'd love to hear them yeah yeah so
1: first of all the, the one is that you know, one reviewer said, Oh the titles are a complete rip-off of seven <laughs> which I was like <laughs> It's not. It's like have you have you watched the title sequence from Seven? It's like I and I purposely did to make sure I wouldn't rip mm-hmm. off the title sequence from Seven, which is, you know, scratched credits, you know, on black, you know, jump cut, uh, you know, and close-ups of, you know, the the books being written and hands and taping and cutting up photographs and all that kind of stuff. And my title sequence is burning pages on a typewriter and stuff being typed up and light bulbs, you know, and and hands. It's like it's, it's, you know, so most title sequences are close ups and there are, you know, there are actually title sequences that it's closer akin to. And there's no jump cutting. It's all done fairly loosely. Um. So it was like, it's like, wow, just stop throwing these things out so randomly. It's like, if you're going to at least criticise that, go back and watch Seven and uh, and then, and again, I'll happily have a debate with anybody, and I I implore you, put on the titles from Judgment, then watch the titles from Seven, and tell me if they're the same. They're not. They're nothing like each other. The pacing, the style, nothing. Um, But regarding the title sequence, uh, on a $350,000 budget movie, You know, what you're going to get is white font on black card. Yeah. That's what you're going to get. It's going to be generated in the Avid, you know, which is the the editing machine that we all use if you don't know about editing. Mm. Uh, You know, you're going to generate the titles. It's going to be pick a font, you know, just like you do when you're uh, on your computer, you know, typing a letter or a a resume. You know, so it's like, you know, Georgia Sans, you know, you know, italic or whatever. (laughs) You know pick a font size and then type them all in and that's it and that's your credits and you know everyone gets three or four seconds of each person that are all legally bound to have their credit from executive producer to costume designers to whatever you know and you kind of log them all in and I I really think it just screams low budget so I'd said to my lady I really want to shoot something for title sequence and um, we didn't have time in the budget you know so I just said to Samuel Calvin, my DP, I said, hey, you know, would you, you know, we, we own the camera, right? We've hired it for three weeks. So I assume the camera's going to be sitting there at the weekends and no one's going to be using it, right? And Mike Leahy was like, no. I said, so can I, can I just come into the studio, you know, into the set and we'll just set it up in the auditor room and, uh, and uh, you know, Samuel, will, will you come in? And Sam was like, yeah, I'll come in, you know, I'll come in and throw a light up and we'll just shoot something, you know, because way better to have credits on picture than credits on black. It just yeah. looked more interesting. So um, we agreed on the first Saturday that I would come in. And I think Mike Regan, of course, he was always you know great help and, and benefit on these movies, said he'd come in and kind of help out. And uh, I typed up all the papers and and screwed them all up and stained them all and added all the lettering to it. And then I came in on the Saturday and we agreed to come in like midday. You know, We'd worked pretty late on the night before and we agreed to come in late on the, the Saturday about noon to just come in for a couple of hours. And when I got in, there was about six crew there. Matt Bowsky, the gaffer, and uh, several people had come in. And uh, I was like, well, Mike, did you pay them? You know, this is great. And he was like, no, everybody came in for free. Said everyone just came in. They heard you were coming in, and they said they wanted to help out. So we had a proper lighting crew and everything. And uh, we just shot. Yeah, it was really, really, it was very humbling. And uh You know, got a bit misty eyed because, you know, to get there and see the whole crew smiling and everyone like with coffees and donuts and kind of thing. And it all, you know, one person had stopped at the donut shop around the corner. One person had gone to Starbucks and it was all out of everyone's own pocket. And it was a testimony to the fact that people were having a good time on the film. And uh, I really love that. It was amazing. So, um, yeah, you know, we ended up being able to shoot a proper title sequence, which I I really like it. I think it's fun. It's a bit different. And it's got the flavor of the film in it. So, um, yeah, you know. And there was actually uh, an end sequence as well done, um, uh, which we never got to use. But originally, the the end scroll of all the credits was done whilst there is a news report saying that you know basically summing up the that what happened there, the preceptor had been caught, and then it says that they are now going to um, a um, press a press release from the church, from the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm and the first ever female-appointed um, cardinal will be addressing the matters of the preceptor. And they introduce a female cardinal called uh, Angela Jofi, and it's, it's Jaffiel, um, in a cardinal's outfit. And she does this thing where she recites this, basically, things they know that appalled they are at the acts and the preceptor, but at the same time they're happy that people are, you know, church attendances are up, and, uh, you know, basically she finishes by saying, so it's great to see that something terrible, something good can come from such a terrible, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And it finishes and it's, it's done as a pushing closely going on. A, and Helena learnt this brilliant speech and it was really weird because she'd got the cream contact lenses, but she'd got this red Cardinals outfit on and, uh, and it was kind of spooky, but it was a, a really good speech. And she, she memorized the whole thing and did a brilliant version of it and did a great little, um, <laughs> what I call it, a Damien smile at the end, you know, you know, the original Damien when he yeah. turns around and. And Richard Donner had said to Harvey Stevens, don't laugh, don't laugh, you know, and don't smile. And, of course, he did, and that creepy smile was what everyone remembers. But uh, she did a little wry smile at the end of it. So that was one piece that would have been nice to keep in, and maybe I'll be able to get that released on the internet at some point. But, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to shoot something, because I, I feel that credit sequences, uh, you know, again, tend to make things feel a little bit high higher budget. I think no, even definitely. subconsciously, I think – if you suddenly cut to black card and white things it just feels cheap whereas
0: something that's over film tends to feel a little bit nicer yeah and some of the work that goes into credit sequences is is great, I hate it on Netflix, and I know it's usually on the TV shows, Which and they probably do this because of repetition, you're watching episode after episode, where it gives you the option to skip past the credit sequences mm-hmm. and the titles, and I hate that, because I think, you know, all the work that's got into it, and the creativity, and I just, I I don't know, am I, like, getting old that I like to watch these things, and it just, it's no, and I, I use I, it I as like a build-up, t- you know?
1: I tend to try and plan them on every, even the little films I've done, I always try and plan it, the credit sequence, and... If I get to direct again, then, uh, you know, with a bit more money, it'd be nice to do something more elaborate. You no, know, I was always a fan growing up of, I think, especially Brits, you know, you're a fan of, uh, you know, the is it is it Morris Bender who did all of the the James Bond credit sequences and those things, you know. So I've, I've always had an affinity for credit sequences anyway, and especially good ones when they actually have information that um, relates back to the film, and I really discussed them some great ones as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. and. I enjoyed doing it we had some problems of course because unfortunately some of the credits that like I say by the time the movie came out some of the executives were no longer with the company so we had to remove their credits <laughs> and add new ones fucking ridiculous <laughs> you know and again
0: it's things like this that you just don't really think of do you you know oh shit you know as, as somebody just in watching the film obvious removal
1: name from the film uh, <laughs> you know in the executive producers there's, there's only one Weinstein in there you know and, yeah
0: uh, yeah so oh god well, I remember you mentioned growing up as well. I remember growing up, and obviously we went through all the big video nasty thing over here in the UK. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was a big no-no, and they kept cutting out the movies, it was always blood on boobs. You know, if there, was, yeah. if there was a topless woman or naked woman, you couldn't have blood on the boobs. Now, obviously, the jury, in Judgment, they get their boobs splashed in blood. Uh, was this, was there any reasoning for this? Was it you, wanted, you or the studio wanted nudity in there, or was it you, you felt that it fit the characters? Henry. It was all you. It was all me. Yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm, I'm not particularly, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting behind the camera, you know, you know, with my hand down my trousers or anything. Just oh, no, of uh, course. Just uh, the reality, no, trust me, I've worked with directors who are like that. Really? Oh, my God. Uh, No, really. I mean, <laughs> I've worked with directors who are, you know, basically getting their jollies off war-storming sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, it was um very simply that um, regarding the jury had to do really the the, the cleaners I'd always seen as being old ladies I mean they they were always a hint of the the three hags from Macbeth you know what I mean and I wanted them to be like the lady from room 237 to be just hideous crones Uh, you know unfortunately we couldn't get any old old ladies so the girls ended up being kind of like in their late 50s early 60s Uh, you know and um, that was as old as we could get with them you know and they were great and they were kind of like uh, you know Heavier set, so it was good. Um, but so they were always going to be naked. The jury, they were written as being fully naked. I actually don't like shooting young girls fully naked on set. I think it's a bit, it's a bit weird and a bit creepy. And also, they're sitting on the floor. It's kind of in you know, a hygienic. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't really like say I, I I don't find need to do that in, in 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 kind of enthralling anyway. I think once you've seen it, it's like you know, it's everyone's got the same bit, so it's like a big deal. But. If you're going to costume them, it's like, what are you going to wear? And on a low-budget film, when you can't really design stuff, it tends to be, you know, if you have characters, then the costume design is going to rustle off to, you know, JCPenney or Sears or Walmart or Target and try and find clothes for people, you know, and then age them down. And that's fine with cops and things like that, but with characters that, you know, have to be a bit more designed, uh, it doesn't work. So I always felt with the jury that, uh, nude was better, you know, semi nude was more interesting than mm-hmm. badly clothed. Yeah. And I like the idea. I was really going off this idea of kind of like, you know, Clive Barker's kind of ideology in the past, which was, you know, he used to call beautiful disgusting. So I like the idea of a girl who's got a really kind of like voluptuous body, but then a hideous face. It's like challenging mm. a guy to be turned on by it. You know, it's like, would you fuck this woman? You know yeah. what I mean? You know she's got off her face ripped off and she's got exposed <laughs> blood and sinew, you but she's got a sexy body it was like the crumb drawing where he used to draw a woman that was really athletic with big boobs and a, a great butt and then she'd have no head you know what i mean <laughs> um so it's kind of like that in a way i guess um but the the bloodbath was really the 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 audit is is edited down and you don't get to see the true you know um the true it's the word I'm looking for process of what you're seeing, which is that the pages that the words are being etched onto are skin, they are flesh, they're not paper, yeah they're skin pages. so what happens is each person who is is audited they are you know they're audited, their blood goes onto the skin, the skin is eaten by the assessor, he mm-hmm. throws it up, the judge put the jury put their hands in it. The next, per- Then he's taken away, stripped naked, licked clean, uh, cleaned on the inside with the, with, his, with the spit. And then his skin is stripped off. And then the idea is that the skin is thrown to the jury. Around the necks of the jury, they're carrying scissors. They then cut the skin up into flesh-sized pages. It's given to the auditor. It's washed and dried. And then those are the new pages for the next audit. Yeah. And in the extended cut of the cleanse of the Watkins, you actually see the pages being cut up. You look around the necks of the jury; they're wearing scissors around their necks, but they cut the pages up, and then their reward for doing, you know, their their kind of like in reward is that they get bathed in blood, and and the idea would have been in a in a bigger budget version, I guess, is that it's bathery, you know what I mean? Yeah. That they would actually be old ladies, you know, and and the bathing of the blood keeps them youthful, you know, so they would start off being old. So maybe when you see them in the room, they're they're aged and then when yeah. you see them after the bloodbath they're, they're youthful again you know um so it was a bit of a, a a homage to uh to Bathory um but I also just thought it was just a really a really bizarre image to see uh cascading fountains of blood I mean it's kind of again it, it's it's a bit of a I suppose it's a bit of a piss take on the slow motion hose shot you know we were seeing these cars <laughs> yeah, these yeah. girls are getting a, a hose sprayed on them and they're kind of like you know acting very kind of sexy. I just thought, what's the most unsexy thing you could hose a girl down with? You know, and it's either vomit or blood, right? Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was something very bizarre about seeing a fountain of blood. And I found that stuff mesmerizing to shoot. Not because I'm obsessed with boobs or anything, but I do love watching liquids in slow motion. I find myself watching a yeah, yeah. slow motion channel on YouTube quite a lot. <laughs> and uh, There's two guys who shoot the most random stuff, and, and it's great fun to shoot it and, and to see how it reacts and uh, and to watch what it does. So I, I just thought it was kind of a, again, kind of a battery thing, you know, uh, Elizabeth Bathory bathing in blood. And um, why not?
0: You know, why yeah, not? Why not? And you always have great blood as well, don't you? You know. Oh, thank you. Well,
1: it's very dark. My blood is that's for sure. You know, so but yes, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, it was really funny because uh, originally I said, "Hey, let's go for an unrated cut," and they were like, "No, no, no," and they cut back on some of the nudity. and And then I think I released. They released it unrated anyway. I think I'm not sure. I don't see a rating classification on there, hmm. which is annoying because, uh, like I say, I, you know, there was a lot more stuff in there. The cleaning sequence was a lot lengthier and a lot more, you know, a lot harder to watch. That's the sequence where we had people leaving the set. Big six foot, you know, 250 pound grips going, dude, this is, this is, <laughs> this, is this is twisted, you know. Like, after about the fourth take of watching, you know, Damien be, you know, have uh, egg whites and sugar poured down his throat, they were like, yeah, this is, this is revolting, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? You do the most gratuitous gore on set and people are like, whoa, that's so cool. You do, you know, uh, fake spit being poured down someone's throat and everyone uh, has a real problem and that's really what i was
0: going for oh yeah and it works as well it does yeah it just start dry heaving watching it that's, that's for yeah sure.
1: and originally the, uh, the the jury was supposed to be when they were when the vomit comes in they were supposed to be in like a little triangle in like a circle sitting in the middle of the room and there would be a tube feeding down from the ceiling and they were supposed to let it pour over their faces and kind of drink it so but the studio nixed that. They were like, "No, we'll we'll let you have the spit, but not the vomit." And I understand that people like find it grotesque and revolting. But um, I uh, I wanted to do something that was uh, hard to watch, you know, w- without doing uh, you know, slicing people up and doing that kind of thing. You know, I mean, there is some of that in there, but I didn't want to go the hostile route and be slicing people's ankle tendons. I wanted to play with body fluids a bit more, and yeah. uh, I think you know, again, you know, uh, the 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 licking of the cleaners was supposed to be that kind of, you know, you know, like in Bill and Ted too when Granny S. Preston's trying to kiss little, you know, Alex Winter, you know, and she's like, right here on the lips, you know. I think we've all been in that situation, right? Oh, like a little yeah. woman's old lady's face kind of right in you, and you can see their hairy mole and their hairy lips, and they're trying to kiss you, you know. And, it's, and I wanted to kind of go back to that, I think, you know. So with the cleaners, I think that's, that's my nightmare being relived there of some hideous old aunt, or someone you know, trying to give me a big, soggy kiss when I was, you know, six, <laughs> seven years old, and just thinking, Oh,
0: this woman smells funny, you know, like, get, they get off me. And- <laughs> that is it, yeah, that's definitely it. When it's something that you can relate to like that, it just makes it that bit more horrific, definitely. And you bring yeah. you bring your own, like you said, with memories like that. You just bring your own little bit into it that you're watching as well, which just adds to you know how disgusted you're going to feel too. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And everyone, you know, no one likes vomit, you know. So oh, I mean, no. you know, and I didn't go the the poop
1: route, you know what I mean? So uh, you know, there's no pee in there. There's no poop in
0: there. So yeah. Yeah. I know people are going to be listening to this, and you've said you know stuff that's been cut out of it and everything how much is in your control because you always get you know i'm the same you know i'm a big cinephile i love everything i'm completist i've got way too many films in the collection i guess but you want to see everything you think oh carrie's just said this was filmed and that was filmed how can we watch it how much is in your control if you can get it out there either through you know the usual oh there's the director's cut or you putting it out and having you know on a youtube channel what sort of control is there for that one and, and, and possibility uh, I mean, yeah, of it happening
1: Dimension, Dimension owns the film and right now Dimension is kind of in a state of flux you know, yeah definitely played. Weinstein company who owns Dimension have gone bankrupt so I mean I don't know what Dimension is right now but I mean I don't think I'm uh, legally allowed to put out you know, uh, you know my own cut of the movie you know because mm. it would be uh, you know, and, and you couldn't anyway because this is what people don't realise when they're like oh you know you direct know, just cut or you know edited you know what a longer version. It's like you know it, that's all very well and good, but it affects so many things. It has a knock-on effect, especially mainly with um, sound effects and with score, because someone has to generate score. Otherwise, if you didn't extend it cut, even if you had two minutes, it's like if it's not done properly, then the score's going to have you know you have two minutes of yeah. missing of music, and it's like trying to you know it's like a, having a uh, mile-long piece of string you have to if you're going to cut it up into pieces you've got to put it back together seamlessly and that's that's where the, the money gets involved because it's got to be graded and it's going to be uh, the shots will be found and you've got to be color time to match otherwise they won't look right so there's a lot of work that goes into that kind of thing and it comes down to dollars and cents you know and I don't know if there'd be enough cash merit for you know people saying oh we want to you know how many people are going to buy an extended cut of or a director's cut of Hellraiser Judgment. I mean, I know the film's done quite well because it was quite high up in sales at Amazon and it sold out for a little while and it was like number three in their top horror films which is great. But again, I, um, and, and, you know, maybe I'll have some kind of weird cult status but I mean, it is what it is at the end of the day. It's the tenth movie in a, in a, in a Hellraiser series. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, you can only, you know, it just, you know, sound like the feral kid from the, from Mad Match in a, the, (laughs) My cut lives now only in my memory. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and I actually I did discover a cut last night. I actually found some images last night and I found the original trailer that I cut. Oh, yeah. Um, back in uh, when we first finished the movie, I, I like to cut a, a trailer straight after the film comes out so that you can show the studio and just say, hey, look, here it is, you know, give, yeah. us a, give us a breather. And um, that I might be able to release because uh, it's kind of like it's, I own it. So yeah, uh, and it's actually very similar to what they released, but uh, there's It's nice because it's got the Christopher Young score on it. But um, I don't anticipate that uh, director's cut being, you know, going out there. People will just have to. And it's also easy for me then to talk about what great sequences I shot and how fantastic they were and how brilliantly written <laughs> they were, and directed they were, and uh, how they would have made the film just like appease everybody was it. and Siskel and <laughs> Weaver and everybody, and it would have been. Two thumbs up across the board. But damn those cursed producers and their pesky things, they ruined it. Damn them, damn them, That's damn It, it, them. it was down a massive them. piece <laughs> until then. Uh but unfortunately I can't seem to find those sequences. Damn you know what? What a shame man. Look at that. That scene with the two hundred horsemen of cenobites oh coming down God. the hill and the army of pinheads was just so good, but they just oh. got it so uh, the, yeah, maybe I'm waxing lyrical and maybe they aren't as great as they were. <laughs> but uh, I did, I do remember. And I did see some sort of last night where I was like, oh, that was pretty good, see, that was kind of a cool sequence. But yeah.
0: it is what it is. What's it been like now, you know, that it's out there and it's all done? What, what's, looking back on it, what's been the most rewarding and the most frustrating part of, of judgement from, you know, from the beginning planning right through to now when it's out there?
1: Uh, there was definitely a moment where you think, God, should I have even bothered? you know Mm -hmm. so i've even bothered because for a while it was such a a torrent of nastiness about it yeah um the most rewarding thing has been seeing uh the good reviews and the bad reviews and then people not me because i don't get involved online because i'm not on facebook or twitter or any of those things but people fighting for the movie, you know, like people posting comments and saying this movie's blows or whatever and people going, I don't think it's that bad, you know what I mean? Like I actually quite liked it, you know, and people not being afraid to stand up and say they enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, the most, you know, the hardest thing about really personally was just losing my friendship with Doug and the most rewarding was getting that friendship back or yeah. at least being able to talk to Doug again. So, uh, you know, I'm happy about that. Um, the most rewarding thing, I suppose, is, is being able to make a film that, that has a reasonable place within the Hellraiser canon, which is a, you know, is a, is a, is yeah. a damaged franchise really. But I mean, uh, most of them are, I mean, I don't think any of the horror franchises are, uh, you know, 10 for 10 perfect movies, are they? You know I mean? No, I think no, definitely not. there are Freddy movies that suck. There are Jason movies that suck. There are Hellraiser movies that, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, and I think Hellraiser unfortunately has definitely suffered more than uh, some of the other ones because I think they're a slightly more difficult, um, I think they're probably in some ways Hellraiser lends itself more to something like Phantasm and in the same way Mm -hmm. that Phantasm really hasn't been given a chance because it's a bit weird and a bit out there and a bit strange and so studios could never get behind it and even when they did get behind it with Phantasm 2 which I really like uh, you know it didn't pan out Um, so I think you know and again some of the Phantasm movies are good and some of the Phantasm movies aren't so good so if I could make something that knowing I was heavily compromised and still managed to entertain people and throw a few new ideas into the pot, then great. And I'm glad that I went with the judgment story and the, the Stygian Inquisition and the Auditor and those characters. Yeah. Uh, and then rewarding is the fact, I got to be in a fucking Hellraiser movie, dude. You kidding? <laughs> <forgive> me? <laughs> me? Me, the dude who sat and watched the movie in 1987, 19 years old in the the classic (laughs) canon cinema, I got to be in a Hellraiser movie, having a conversation with Pinhead, holding my own, and, uh... Yaboo! Well, you know, fuck everybody else, you know? That's that's the best present in the world, dude! You know, it's like, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a complete giddy, stupid fanboy for five minutes, if anyone's watching, you know, Thor right now and thinking... Fuck me, wouldn't it be great to be in a movie with Thor and then thirty years later get to be a character in a movie with Thor then you know. It's like the guy who directed the Thor movie playing, you know you know, you know, being in that movie with the uh, with him. It's like how cool is that? Oh, so yeah, it's
0: great. I mean I still smile now at my few brief appearances in Hellworld, yeah, there you, go. you know. <laughs>
1: So, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I got to live the dream. You know, if I if I shuffle off the mortal call tomorrow, it's like, well, you know, I, I got into this in, in, industry, you know, inspired by horror films, inspired by British horror films, inspired by Clive Barker, inspired by Hellraiser. And I got to be in a Hellraiser movie, you know, and not just like, a, you know, strolling by a spike of the Cenobite like I did or Bound Cenobite slicing Lance Henriksen in half, or mm. even playing the journalist to the beginning of Daddy, you know? I got to be a monster. I got to be a character that has some resonance, I think. Yeah. And uh, and, and that's the most rewarding thing in the world. Ironically enough, I was playing him on my birthday in 2015 as well. Oh, that's great. The, you know, when we shot it in 2016, was it? Yeah, you know, it's my birthday, and they made a, an order to cake for me. So it was funny because I just hit 50, and my wife was like, oh, what do you want to do for my birth- your birthday? Do you want to do something big? And I know people celebrate 50th birthdays but I, I couldn't give a shit you know It's like i i was like sweetheart i had the best birthday ever you know like i was i was <laughs> directing a hellraiser movie yeah. playing in a hellraiser movie being a character in a hellraiser movie on my birthday it's like uh you know like that's good i don't know i don't know unless you've got scarlett johansson you know to to that <laughs> you know, you're gonna go away for a couple of hours and she's really you know into slightly chubby blonde-haired english dudes then i mean uh it's it's you know, it's never going to be any better than that. So, I mean, I was, I was. There's. There's. You know. You, you know. And if people have been negative about me playing the auditor, then I suspect there's a little bit of a bit of envy there. Because who wouldn't be envious of oh, that? Before? Of course. Yeah, of course. You know. So that was great. It could have only been better if it had been me and Doug. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to be the auditor. Because over the years, myself and Doug had talked about wouldn't it be great to have a scene where it's a bit of. A bit of toing and throwing and a bit of uh, a bit of stuff going on and yeah. uh, you know and uh, and I would have loved it would have been you know would have been the dream of a dream as to have, um, to have done it with Doug but it was great fun with Paul you know and um, what was nice with Paul was a big giddy fan as well so you know it's you know, it very hard to uh, I do do you remember that movie that that not so great movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg oh I do yeah yeah. Do you remember when he's having these photos taken with the band and the, guy, the photographer's like, stop smiling, you know, like, and he keeps grinning like he's <laughs> yes. just a chicken cat? And yeah, the yeah. band's doing these mean kind of poses and he's like, giddy and he's just like, or even um, Sam Rockwell's character in Galaxy Quest when he's grinning all the time <laughs> and they're like, and I think, you know, uh, um, what's his name? God, I've forgotten the his name now. Uh, who's, who plays Snape? Um, you know, who plays Hans Gruber? What's his name? Oh! I Alan Rickman. His... Yes. Alan Rickman was like, you know, what are you what are you smiling at, you know? And, and and Sam Rock was like, I'm just just happy to be in the show, man, you know. I bet he was. And that's how uh, that's how Paul Taylor was, you know. Yeah. Like, stopped smiling, you know. He's like, Well, I'm just happy to be here, you know. And he's so exciting, you know. He was really giddy, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so um so that was fun, you know. It was a fun movie to make. Yeah. Uh, it was. You know, we only did 12 hour days. We didn't know overtime because I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried to be really on board. But and, and it's like, I think everyone, you know, when you see all these video press conferences where actors are being interviewed, and was like, oh, we all loved each other. We're great friends. It was the most happiest, rewarding experience. 90% of the time it's bullshit, you know what I mean? Because no one's going to say, God, we all fucking hate each other. But, and I've worked on a lot of films and some films I've had a really good time and enjoyed people and for other reasons, sometimes I've just got laid a lot on a film. and. Sometimes I had a good time with the director and the actors, and sometimes I didn't. So, but on um, judgment, it was just I felt like everybody was signed on and was supportive of me, and I tried to be very respectful of the people and what they did. Um, especially grip and electric, who I have nothing but respect for, because it's a it's a very ex- exhausting job carrying cameras and moving lights and all that kind of stuff, and it gets very uh, you know physical for those guys. Uh, you know when you're a director sitting in a chair and someone's handing you a coffee it's not that hard <laughs> uh, although you're carrying a lot of pressure on your shoulders yeah but i mean um but when you're humping stuff around all day long it gets pretty brutal so i try to be organized and on on point for those guys so that they're like oh this guy knows what he's doing like he's not he's not messing us around you know like i've worked on films where it, like a director will go oh we're going to shoot over here and they like the whole scene and he goes maybe over there will look better you know But like, oh really we have to move everything over there now and they do and then they get there and the really goes you know what it was kind of good the way before so we'll just go back to there you know, and you're like really so you know i think it's it's i think it's you know it's rude to do that so um everybody was treated fairly from uh, you know from the humblest pa to uh you know to the producer and and everyone was on board and uh, i think everyone felt uh, respected and appreciated and uh that's why it was a fun experience so i had a great time the people of oklahoma were very friendly the oklahoma film commission um we had a great time and um yeah there wasn't there wasn't anybody on the film who i felt dragged their feet or was uh who was miserable or uh you know or, or just oh you know hey dude it's just a fucking paycheck you know what i mean Yeah. um and that's that's great you know so it was a, it was a fun experience and um yeah, I've got nothing but good memories of it. Like, you know, I'm not saying that I, you know, I keep in touch with people because over the years of working on a lot of films, I'll tell you now that I barely keep in touch with anybody I've worked with. You know, I mean, you just—it's very rare that you have relationships that go beyond a film. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, me, you and I really is kind of a strange one, but uh, but again, I, I'm not kind of like, hey, let's go down to the pub and hang out kind of person. <laughs> you know what I mean? But a chat on the phone now and again, and uh, yeah. but but everybody on that film, I was really you know had a great time with them. I felt they all worked very very hard and got the
0: feeling that they all kind of walked away from it saying that was fun and we enjoyed that what would you say if the studio came to you and said they wanted you to write and direct the next one?
1: Oh well I'm an idiot yeah I I'd totally do <laughs> oh I'm in you know I mean I've, I've said this before if they came back and said we've got 50 quid and a fucking you know here's an iPhone <laughs> can you shoot another Hellraiser movie I'm 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 stupid, I've got no brain, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to let me talk to my agent. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so, I mean, the reality is is that if if they, if, if if, Weinstein Co now get a completely new executive board and they still own the rights, or if whoever buys it, if Ralph Johnson Productions buys it and they own the rights, if they suddenly turn around and say, oh, well, screw everybody else who's ever worked on it, they're nothing to do with it, they just ruined it. And we're going to hire Zack Snyder to make the next one or, you know, Brett Ratner mm-hmm. or anybody that I'm not a particular fan of. You know, you know, like they said, we're going to hire Uwe Boll, you know, Uwe Boll <laughs> to make the next Hellraiser. <laughs> then I'm still going to buy the next one and watch it.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not saying I'm going to enjoy it. But I, I, you've got my you've got my money already. I'm 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 a sucker for a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, because I'm always hoping that someone's going to do, do a great job. Uh, you know, would I love to see Clive Barker write one and direct one? Absolutely, Lily. You know, I and mean, I'm a staunch Clive Barker fan, so I'd love to see what comes from the master's mind. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if they came to me and said, Gary, we've got $200,000, it's a rights issue movie, do you want to do it? I'd be like, yes. Mm-hmm. And if they came back to me and said, We've got a million dollars, would you like to do something? I'd say, yes. And if they came back and said, We've got $3 million and said, Would like to do I'd be like, and yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I, you know, I'd love to. Do I think it'll happen? I'm, I'm, I'm constantly the, I'm constantly the negative naysayer. You know? I mean, I, I, never think anything good's going to happen in life. You know, <laughs> about anything. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm never like, you know, I mean, people are like, oh, I mean, I spoke to someone the other day. I'm like, oh, man, it's getting some good reviews. Get planning your next movie, and I'm like, oh, I'll never direct again. They'll never let me be on a camera, camera again. It will never happen you know like I mean there are so many people in the world who want to direct and young people up and coming and I'm 50 and it's like why isn't anyone going to hire me I'm 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 nothing but a, you know I'm 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 definitely a doom and gloomer um so I'm always a bit shocked when people say yeah I mean would I like to yeah do I have some other idea there are other things I'd like to do I'd like yeah. to get away from Hellraiser because I feel like I did kind of one of them now and I would like to do it if I had some more money, but there are other stories I'd like to tell. I've got a version of the Telltale Heart I'd really like to do. Um, and then there's a the thing I wrote a few years ago called uh, No Man's Land, which still gets kicked around, but I don't know. It's, the, the, the movie-making model has changed drastically. Yeah. Uh, you know, It really, really has. Right now, the only people who seem to be making tons of movies are uh, on Netflix. You know? yeah. I mean, Obviously, what I would love more than anything, I suppose, is someone at Blumhouse to see it and go wow this guy made this film for $350,000 that's pretty good don't we have something we can throw him you know I think I'd like to work with Blumhouse because I I like I love Jason Blum's um uh idea of the film industry and it's very similar to my thoughts and he's the one person who I listen to talking and I listen to him on speeches a lot and I go everything he says resonates with me and it's like I've said what he's been saying for years and uh Again, he's constantly making these films and going, I don't know why anyone else isn't doing this and he's got it down right, which is that studios are too snobby to make low budget horror films, they're all it's not cool enough for them. So uh, it's foolish because if there's you know, it's very cool to make money, I think, and Jason's oh, doing it. a great job at it, you know, and uh, Blumhouse are dominating the horror industry where once Dimension used to and Lionsgate, and now Blumhouse is, is rocking it. Yeah. So I mean either I'd happily go and make one of their you know higher budget ones or happily honestly make one of their low budget films I mean the films that they've made like Creep which is super low budget I'd happily do I'd just like to direct again I would uh, so please anyone out there who's listening uh, my number is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vote, vote number 8 on your scoreboard and uh, yeah, give me a call and that's it available for weddings vomits mitzvahs and everything as long <laughs> as you don't mind having the, blight, the bride showered in blood and the groom sticking his hands in vomit then uh, you know I can do the most original wedding video you'll ever have <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I just hope that people watch Judgment uh and other films as well actually and just just keep in mind the stuff, you know, that goes on behind the scenes that you don't really think of immediately. Well, not just immediately. Yeah,
1: but people shouldn't. I
0: and I appreciate that. No one should go into a movie with a a
1: list of credentials and the mm. specs of the movie and, and, and have that on on you know on their thing. I think if you're you know, you need to if you know it's a low-budget movie, then you have to credit some slack, obviously. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you shouldn't, you know, no director should be able to hide behind the well, I didn't have any money, you know. Um, and, I, you know, so it's, you know, I mean, anyone watching it knows it isn't a $100 million movie, but, you know. It, it, see, the funny thing about budgets is, you know, people always go, well, how can a movie cost $100 million? How can a movie cost $50 million? And it's like, well, if, if we'd have hired, um, if I'd have hired Jennifer Lawrence to be, Edgerton. Mm. Yeah. Our budget would have been twenty million dollars and three hundred and fifty yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's a twenty
1: million dollar budget movie all of a sudden. Yeah. Because she's getting twenty million dollars. I mean I did a film years ago called uh, Killing Season with Travolta, De Niro and Yeah, Travolta and De Niro. Two characters in the film. And I think the budget was like thirty million dollars, but the film was only the film actually cost Less than six million to make. it's wow. you know, so what we call below the line and above the line. So above the line talent is anyone who's like a, a actors and director and producers and those guys. And below the line is what the movie actually physically costs to make. Yeah. And all films roughly cost the same amount of money to to make per day.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars a day kind of thing. You know, usually or you know, forty to fifty thousand dollars a day sorry. You know, so it's like that's your kind of usual running costs. So you can usually figure it out from there whether it's a a four-week shoot or a six-week shoot or an eight-week shoot or a six-month shoot and then everything above that so when you think about making an avengers movie i mean good lord oh, it's yeah. scary when you start looking at those about this cost of who's getting what and surprising at times i mean it's shocking to see that people like benedict Cumberbatch is she's only getting three million you know and uh scully hansen's getting eight million and you know and then robert Downey jr is getting 50 million whoa yeah 50 million dollars i mean it's, it's it's amazing so i mean um yeah, it's 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 you know you can see why they're above the line is so crazy. Um, yeah, just the way it goes. So uh, but uh yeah, I don't expect people to you know, I think yeah. I can't I can't demand and say, Well look I only have it. Mm-hmm. But I think if if you're going to you know if you're buying a hot dog off a vendor in the street, you're not expecting a three quarters meal, are you? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But I do I do wish that cinemas I and mean, I do wish that studios would sometimes um pass on that saving to the customer i think that would be very fair i do think it's strange that we're in the one industry where you pay one price no matter what the product
0: mm.
1: you know you don't go into a restaurant and pay five dollars and get you know like i say a cheese sandwich or a steak and yet with movies you know you go and buy a cinema ticket for whatever, i don't want it costs in england but you know like 15 bucks in, in america and for 15 dollars, you can either see the witch or avengers <laughs> so how, how, how does that work you know like surely whoever's putting the witch on is making a lot more money than the people putting the Avengers on right you know, yeah, like, yeah i mean you know i just think it'd be really to me it'd be really really wonderful and kind of harken back to the 50s or 60s to have kind of like a uh, you know like a, a producer come on and say oh you know i'm i'm there you know ch- a cigar chomping producer say oh i produced i produced you know death kill four you know It only cost us, you know, a death killer. And it only cost us a million dollars. And we don't think it's right to charge you the same money you'd see to see Avengers. (laughs) So we're going to charge you $4, you know. And in these times when money's tight and people don't have money like they used to, you know, we're passing on the savings to you. You know, we just don't think it's fair to rip you off. So come and see our movie and we hope you enjoy it. And I think if you did that, I think people would be a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. You know, like I think if Hellraiser, you know, and again I'm sure there are analysts or accountants screaming going, shut up, you stupid git. But I mean, uh I think I think if people paid seven dollars for a DVD of judgment, you know, rather than fifteen or twenty bucks or whatever it is, they would go, Oh well, you know what? For seven dollars that was pretty good. Yeah.
0: Right? I Wouldn't they make definitely, I think they would. And the tr- the trouble is though, as you, as you know in this day and age they'll just a lot of people they'll just go they just, watch for they just click and download it and then they'll piss and moan that it's not downloading fast enough for them and it's just like well
1: yeah but they'd have to realize that as they're downloading it slowly the other signal of the trace signature that's going into their computer yes. is being
0: downloaded <laughs> uh, uh, there will be uh, they will be a visit from the auditor
1: yeah absolutely you know and uh, you know i mean you know I still pay for my songs on iTunes. I do. What I say? I, yeah. I have a real problem with it. I mean, I just think if someone's put the effort in, they deserve to get some money out of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, me too. And, uh, me too. You know, and I don't get any of it. I mean, I gave all my money for the directing to uh, writing to the effects and makeup effects. So, and I don't get any payments back from the movie, no matter how well it does. I see nothing, which my father finds finds very uh, amazing. You know, again talking to my blue-collar dad in Burntwood, England, he's always like, well, Tom Hanks gets, like, loads of money every time they (laughs) make a movie, and I'm like, yeah, Dad, well, you know. When you're the director of Hellraiser Judgment, uh, you know, the payment you get at the beginning is that's it. You know, it's not a Director's Guild movie. You're not protected by a union, so uh, you're paid, and that's your fee, you know, and that's the end of it. And hopefully you hope that one day you... Get a bigger movie when you're in the guild and you do get a bit of uh, profit participation. But uh, not on this one. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, again, I'm quite happy. I, you know, I've always had a. It's same with the effects and everything else. I hate people who do a job and then moan that they're not getting paid enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it be digging a hole or whatever. If you agree to dig a hole for a hundred pounds, then shut up and dig the hole for a hundred pounds. There's nothing worse than someone who agrees to dig a hole for a hundred pounds and then spends the entire day digging the hole, moaning about it. You know, I normally get two hundred and fifty for doing this. <laughs> Can't believe I'm doing it for a hundred pounds. I mean, if I ever have work people around me like that, I just say, get out, leave. Yeah. You know, either do the job for which you agreed and do it with a smile and be happy for the money, or get the fuck out. But don't moan about it all day long. And I'm the same. I've been paid big, big money to do makeup effects, and I've been paid shitty money to do makeup effects. And uh, if I agree to do it, then that's upon me, not on the person paying me. If that's all they've got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if I'm stupid enough or desperate enough or happy enough to do it for the money, then that's me, and uh, people just need to shut up. And look, the reality in life is that some people are going to make lots more money, and some people are going to get, you know, have nicer, cushier lives, and uh, but you know, are they better lives? You know, the one thing I've learned as you get older is that uh, it's not all about you know how many cars are on the drive and how much money is in the bank. Mm. It really is about the quality of your life, and oh, uh, definitely. definitely. I would say don't don't chase the dream. I mean I've worked with people who who make ridiculous sums of money and don't seem that happy, I've worked with people who are very very wealthy who are very very happy mm. and live. Crazy life, um, you know. But I mean, uh, you know, a cup of tea and a slice of toast doesn't cost a great deal at all, and I get as much fun as, from that as I do from most things. Or watching a DVD in my house and uh, yeah, and chilling out. So I mean, uh, and I, I, you know, one of the most rewarding reviews I have to tell you is there's a great review on YouTube. I I, I, I urge you to seek it out. Okay, I think it's called uh, Hellraiser Judgment. Honest opinion, first 30 minutes, and it's uh, it's some dude sitting in his basement in America, and he's got a bottle of bourbon, and uh, and uh, as he describes it, a sweet bud of sticky icky. <laughs> and uh, he's clearly an, an insane clan posse fan, which I am as well, and uh, he's just in there, he's just like hey man so sitting here watching fucking hellraiser fucking judgment got some sweet ass bob and got some fucking sweet ass bud you know and i gotta say you know i'm fucking enjoying this movie it's pretty dope you know <laughs> a lot of people said it was gonna i mean you know me i'm a big critic of hellraiser they've been pretty shit since uh, bloodline but this is pretty dope 30 minutes in gotta tell you i'm really enjoying it so uh, get some bob and get some sweet ass dicky icky and watch hellraiser <laughs> judgment whoop whoop and i was like you know what that's made my day like i I will take that over Forbes, giving me a nice review, or which they did, uh and uh, bloody disgusting, give me a nice review and mm-hmm. dread Central yeah. and uh, Bob ridnor at uh, Clyde Barkercast. cast, just to know that you've touched one person sitting in his basement, you know drinking some bourbon, you know, smoking a bit of bud and uh and saying, you know what this is pretty this is pretty dope, this movie It's pretty weird and trippy, and the uh, Somebody had fun for uh, for 70 minutes, you know, and that's uh, that's nice, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, there are some nasty ones out there where people are getting all bent bitter and twisted and bent out of shape and, and, you know, all hating. And it's like, you know what, maybe they need to smoke a little bit of the sticky icky and have a little drink of the bourbon and
0: chill the hell out, you know, and uh, maybe life and the movies will all be a bit sweeter. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, I think that's a good way to to round it off on that positive note with it as well. <laughs> there you it? go. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's really good. Well, you know, obviously, congratulations on it finally being out there. And I know sales-wise, I was looking at it. It, it did really well on Amazon. Uh, we're still waiting. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to you off-air as well. you buying it in the UK. There's more worldwide deals still to sort out as well, isn't there? Yes, yes, yes. They're
1: looking at a UK release, I guess, and figuring out the... Uh, I've seen some DVD covers from different parts of the world, but... Uh, I think Lionsgate were waiting to see what it did before they kind of looked at the uh, rest of Europe. But I know that people have been downloading it and people have been even importing DVDs from Amazon, etc. So uh, I know that there are watchers in the UK because I've seen some uh, some great UK reviews.
0: Yeah, and what's next? What's next for you then, Gary?
1: Um, I'm heading out to Berlin uh, again next week to work with my dear friend the anti-conjurer uh, Dan Sperry uh, on his German tour. Oh, great. And then he's at the Shepherd's Bush 02, uh, I think, in end of May or June, yeah. could be, for one night. So, uh, yeah, um, Dan's an amazing illusionist. If you haven't seen him online, I'd suggest you check him out. And uh, if you're in Germany, uh, come to Germany and uh, catch him on tour. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, bouncing around, really, from uh, all sorts of things. It's a, it's, a, it's a life where I get to kind of pick and choose. I'm writing some stuff and uh, I'm doing some art pieces um, and um, also, like I say, helping Dan out with some illusions and uh, some bits and pieces there and then waiting for that big Hollywood role to, in that big Hollywood mm-hmm. movie production to call me and say, hey, kid, we've only mm-hmm. got $50 million. Would you like to direct it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and you'll be there in a shot. And clearly, clearly I've been drinking the bourbon and smoking the sticky <laughs> icky when i have been But uh you know, you never know, you know. I'm just uh, I'm hopeful. I mean I'd like I'd love um you know, dimension to Roy's Phoenix like from the ashes and Bob Weinstein to kind of like uh pick up the reins and give me a call and say, Hey, we'd like to do something but uh you never know. There's a lot
0: going on but um who knows? I'm optimistic. Yeah, well that's good. Like you said, who knows what's gonna happen. Um...
1: We Absolutely. Will, we
0: will find out. Well, it's, always, it's always great chatting to you, you know, even if not just on the show but off air as well. It's always really nice to have a chat with you. So, and again, you know, thanks again for giving the time to come on the show. I know the feedback from the last show that we had with you was amazing. People love hearing too. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go on then. What do you think about Gene and Ace and
1: Peter all of a sudden being friends again and hanging oh. out on Gene's uh, fault things?
0: It's It's all pointing towards this final, final farewell <laughs> tour I think. It's it's it, Vinnie Vincent. I know, Vinnie Vincent has appeared. It's it all sort of pointing to if not a full tour with them all, it's gonna be maybe sporadic shows, you know, at Madison Square Garden and here, there and everywhere with whoever's still before alive. Before they
1: launch the before they launch the four cover artists who oh. will then carry on the yeah. leg-
0: <laughs> The uh, before they launch the official tribute band, probably.
1: <laughs> what do you think about that?
0: Ah, uh, it's no I've no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother going and seeing anybody else. I think once you know, once these hang it up, hang up the boots, and that that's me done. And I thank them for all the years. But yeah,
1: yeah I think with that and Paul, it's a, it's a tricky sell.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: You yeah. know, I mean, I, I get the concept of it, but I just don't think it would work as a as a. I think it's a novelty then. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, I don't think. I mean, uh, you know, you know, I've seen all incantations of the of. The, Incarnations of the band, incantations, incarnations of the band, and uh, you know Tommy and uh, Eric. Eric don't have the personality of of Gene and Paul, and you can't bring in you can bring in someone who can play the someone and sing them, but you can't have the personalities and love him or loathe him, and you know love them or loathe them, Paul or Gene. Uh, their personalities are what make the band interesting and exciting. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think honestly, once it's once they've left the the, the picture, then I think it's 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 a it's it's silly to me to to carry on that way. Uh, it is nice to see. Um, I think it'd be nice to see them all get together for one tour and and just to bury the bad blood. I mean, it was nice yeah. to see. It was nice to see. It was weird to see Vinnie Vincent uh, emerge. Yeah, that I, Kiss I, Expo. Yeah. And definitely, there's something uh, that's not being spoken about, you know. Oh, or, definitely. I yeah, think yeah. I think everyone's speaking about it, but no one's speaking about it with Vinny. Yeah. Um. But I think everybody was a bit like, "What?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? I mean, and even my and my wife was like, "He's wearing women's shoes." Mm-hmm. You know. Um. You know. Uh, and those are women's pants, and that's a women's pantsuit. Um. But I mean, um. I think it would be. I think it would be great to see uh, one last hurrah. You know, and to see, you know, to, to even see Vinnie play live uh, with them, you know what I mean, uh, you know, to, to come out. and Wouldn't it be fantastic if they announced tomorrow and said, you know what, we're going to do two drummers, two oh, lead yeah. stars, and, you know, everyone's going to come out, you know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, I do think, I, and I do feel that Eric and Tommy uh, are are part of the band. They've put in the... Oh, in yeah, the, the, yeah they've put the time in, I've, definitely. I, and I've liked songs that they've done you know, that they've worked on. So, I mean, uh, you know, do I think it's a bit weird they dress up in the gear? Yeah, I do. But, you know, but, um, it is what it is, but I do, I do feel they've earned the right to be, it has been a long, a long time. Um, and I'd go, I, I'd go and, uh, it could be huge. You know, if they did stadiums, it'd be fantastic. I'm sure. Um, But I think if you did that, then I think you have to knock it on the head. I think this idea of doing tour after tour after tour of farewell, farewell, goodbye, cheerio, we're on our way out. No, really, really, we're going this time. No, seriously, (laughs) this time we are going. No, really, I know we said last fight, but we are this time. He's a bit insulting to the fans. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they're not the only ones. I mean, I think Scorpions really did the same thing. I mean, I went and saw them on two farewell tours. Uh, And the one band who I think really should hang it up now... um, with everything that's gone down, and uh, I think I just think it was the right time to do it. Is Judas Priest?
0: Yeah, with what's happening in the band there as well. With like you know, Paul Glenn and this, you know, they got that amazing twin guitar sound of you know Glenn Tipton and KK Downing that's gone now. And you know, as much as I well, do I like Richie Faulkner you know, was think, good. I think but...
1: Faulkner and and Sneed, uh, Sneed are doing it. You know, they're they're doing it live, and mm. it was great to see Glenn Tipton come out and do some songs with them on the uh, on the new tour. But I mean, I just think it's a great album, Firepower is, it's, it's, it's not an amazing album, it's a great album, it's, again, it's like a pretty standard Judas Priest album, there's, there's a few good songs and a few fillers, um, but I think it's a strong album, and I just think it would be, I mean, God, they're, they're you know, these guys are up in their 70s, you know, it's the, time yeah. to say, you know, what guys, and they, and they said they were going to do this a couple of years ago, uh, like that was going to be the end of it, so I just think now with Glenn, and KK leaving, and now Glenn being sick, I think the right time is to just say, you know, thank you very much, guys. It's been fantastic, and, and to move on, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, because, you know, the three ben bands that we mentioned with Kiss Scorpions and Judas Priest, all three, I got into them in the 70s, as you probably did, or, you know, not too long after. And it was like, if you told me then that I'd still be, you know, buying albums by them and going to watch them in 2018, I'd have thought it ridiculous. But it's, well, i yeah.
1: ones that the ones that you have
0: to look to and go, now there's the way to do it. There's, there's
1: professional. Hmm. and there's the nice way to do it, is Rush. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a couple of years ago, I was in LA, we were working in the workshop one night, uh, me and Mike Regan, and I was like, Rush are playing tonight at, you know, Irvine Meadows. And I said, we should go. And I didn't have tickets. And I said to Mike, I said, we should go. Mike's not a, a, a particular rock fan. He's not, you know, he knows a few songs, but he he tends to go to concerts if I drag him along and say, hey, man, do you want to come and <laughs> see a gig? He's You know, he wouldn't kind of say, hey, man, there's a gig going on, do you want to go see it? But he'll... If I say I'm going to see a band, do you want to come along? He'll he'll tag along. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I said uh, I rush a plane tonight to Irvine Meadows. I said we should go to Irvine Meadows and go and see Rush. And he was like, "Well, yeah." Mike's always a stickler for you know details. He's like, "Oh, well, do you have tickets?" I'm like, "Well, we'll just we'll 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 black some tickets when we're there." You know what I mean? On the door kind of thing. I think it's pretty much sold out, but I'm sure we can get in. So we drove to Irvine Meadows, and on the way, Mike said, "Why? You know, like I know you've seen Rush before, but..." You know to be it's a bit last minute and i said i think this is going to be the last time they ever play i said i've got a feeling that they're they're you know it's unwritten it's unsaid but i get the feeling that they're gonna they're gonna sign out you know they're gonna they're just gonna not gonna tour again and i think it's important to go you know and kind of just do it and we ended up going and oddly enough we got the worst possible um placement if you've been to the meadows in california it's on a giant hill you know so the hill group you know slopes down towards the stage and. Yeah no tickets at the bottom but if you literally like 20 bucks you can stand at the very top of the hill uh you know on an incline and watch a band and uh we were right 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 at the back um and i've never been there before i'm always like a big snooty snobby vip guy who gets right down the front but i gotta tell you it was fantastic it was amazing it was a really hot something summer, you know, a summer's day in california and night you know and we stood at the back and a lot of people who didn't have a lot of money, I guess they're smoking a lot of pot, you know, drinking beer and literally handing. If you said someone could have a beer, they would hand you to a beer. Oh, wow. You know, amazing. It was just weird. People literally like the person next to you, like passing you a joint and saying, do you want a beer? You've never met in your life. It was just a very different <laughs> vibe and uh, really kind of nice and kind of communal. And, you know, Rush isn't like a slayer, you know, where everyone's kind of like moshing. It was just more, more chilled out. Yeah. And the show was amazing. They sounded brilliant. And this, the set that they did was fantastic, uh, visually. And uh, I did you see that tour? I didn't, know, no. So what they did, which I thought was really, really genius, and uh, again, a testimony to what a great band. So the, the, they played sequentially their music backwards. So they started with their most recent stuff and worked their way back through their catalog right to their first album. And what the stage set was, was the stage set was giant PAs and back rigging and all this. But as, the, as the, the set went on for the two hours, there were guys in boiler suits coming on and removing parts of the set, oh, taking wow. down speakers, removing parts, taking down amps, da-da-da-da. And it ended, and the back screen was a projection of inside a school hall, and it ended with them playing with uh, Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee with their, their amps on two chairs, you know, two, <laughs> two, two like, school chairs. Going back to like, so they started the gig playing in an arena and ended it playing in a school hall with that amp and, and, wow. and amp on That's it. Great. Yeah. And it was really clever. The stage was basically bare by the end of the gig, uh, you know, and playing songs off the first album. And it was just brilliant. And uh, it was really memorable. And we got in the car and I said, but then they're going to play again. Because Neil Peart basically said, look, you know, if we if we stop for two years now, It'll take me six months to get up to speed. Mm-hmm. I'm getting older. I don't think I can play it like I used to. And if I can't play it right, I'm not going to play it. Yeah. And obviously that's what's happened now with Ernest and their retirement. But there was no big farewell tour. There was no cashing in. Mm-hmm. There was no big hurrah. They did a tour. Everyone in the know knew. It was a spoke, you know, unspoken, spoken word kind of thing, unspoken you know, vibe. And those that wanted to go and see them saw them and uh and they stepped gracefully from the from the limelight and and i think that's a really really brilliant way to go and uh, i feel like kiss you know obviously kiss wouldn't do that you know it's not the kiss way yeah yeah, but i do think it would be great to put on the biggest kiss show ever with ace with peter with vinnie vincent with bob Kulick, you know uh with bruce cullick sorry and uh you know and uh and Eric and Tommy and do one big final fucking tour and then say thank you very much, it's been amazing yeah, that be and good. you'll never hear, you know, yeah, you know, that was the the hottest band in the world, you know, you wanted them, you got them and that's it. Yeah. Same with Scorpion, same with Priest, I think would be the right way to go out, but uh, that's just
0: my two pence anyway. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think the same. I think that would be really good and, you know, we've always got the music that they give us all these years ago and just to go out and a, with a big bang like that, that would be great It really would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if they do, we'll have to get to uh, have to get to a gig together then.
1: Absolutely, sounds okay. good to me. All right. Well, Okey oh, Well, thanks for everyone for listening. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope whatever I do in the future, you'll uh, you'll tune in and buy it. And if you haven't bought a copy of Judgment, please rush out to your local wherever
0: and uh, order it online. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, Gary. You're an absolute star. Good, Take good to talk day. to you. Thanks, mate. All Take right. Okay. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed chatting with Gary. It's always it's a total pleasure having a chat with him. He's one of those people that when you're doing a show like this, I don't need to do anything at all, really. I just happily sit back and listen to some great stories from him, which I'm sure you've done too. Please give us some feedback uh, on the show. Give us some feedback on Hellraiser Judgment if you've watched it. If you haven't watched it, go and buy it. Uh, get those sales up even higher Uh, and and then let us know what you think the way that you can do that is if you go to our website which is 60minuteswith.co.uk there's a contact us form on there or you can email us direct which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk we're also on twitter and instagram at 60 minutes with numerical 60 not alphabetical so give us a follow on there and you can keep up to date with everything that we're doing and so I'm, well, I don't know when you're listening to this. I don't know when you downloaded it, but today we put two shows up for uh, Easter Sunday. We put the entertainment show up with myself and Chris and this one with myself and Gary. So hopefully we've give you something good to listen to it. If not this weekend, well then at some point, wherever you are in the future. So thank you for listening and we'll be back again soon.